0: Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good morning. And together we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today we are sitting down talking about a topic that I have a very strong affinity for, and that is raw dairy. I think because this topic is A, so heated, no pun intended, So controversial, so um, interesting to navigate. It's one I just love talking about because I think the more we talk about it, talk through it, the more clarity brings to the consumer. And that, at the end of the day, is my goal, 100%. So I was thinking about it. I'm like, this is the first time in a long time we're sitting down recording and I have my laptop in front of me. Mm. You know what that means? Yeah. Like we're going to do a deep dive into... A topic we've been we've been loving doing some guest interviews this summer, and uh, we're recording another one later this week with a guest. And so it's just a different setup when it's just you and me talking through stuff that we are looking into and reading about, sharing our personal experiences from. Because gosh, we've got now what six and a half years of participating in a herd share and and drinking primarily, if not exclusively, raw dairy.
1: When it comes to being in the suburbs and also consuming right. raw cow goat products. Right. We're, we're in the game.
0: We're the game. We're in the game. We don't have a cow ourselves. We don't have any sort of dairy operation in the backyard yet. Um, <laughs> and that's why I love the topic because, you know, I want to empower consumers to make the best decision for their family. It doesn't have to be the same decision we make, but the best decision with all the information. So... Let's get into this. We did a fantastic, if I do say so myself, episode already on Raw Dairy. I believe it was episode number six, which is crazy to think about that it was that early on in the podcast game.
1: That was March 2021.
0: Yeah, we recorded, um, we recorded 2022. It's 2022 right now.
1: What was it? March twenty You're throwing
0: me off with the dates right now. It's definitely 2022. Anyways, we recorded, I think, about two hours.
1: Yeah, you're right. What am I doing here? I
0: was like, did we? Have we been doing this a year? No. No, we haven't. So we recorded about two hours worth of information where we did sort of a deep dive into the history of raw dairy, the history of dairy in general because that was really critical in a sort of understanding Mm. why we even use this word pasteurization. It's based off a man named Louis Pasteur. Um, And so once you learn his background, his influence in the French wine industry, his influence as a microbiologist, his influence in authoring the germ theory, uh, you just understand at a much different level what sort of conflict surrounds raw dairy regulation today kind of makes more sense and I was even listening through that episode uh, last night just to kind of refresh on what we talked about and you know the thing that stuck out to me was that as we're talking about this sort of poor state of dairy when folks started moving closer into the cities the industrial revolution it was a hundred year span between the time when we have records of folks getting really sick with um, bovine tuberculosis in the cities, and those like ex- those um, poor cows eating the leftover distillery mash, mm. and just—I read that excerpt off the book, which, by the way, had so many words I had never even uh. read. Before. I remember listening; <laughs> oh, it was a struggle. Um, but it was a hundred years, but be- between that documentation. And sort of like the widespread pasteurization. And a point that we made in the previous podcast is like, listen, it's not like every single person in that time period was getting sick from milk straight from an udder. Mm. It was specific situations, specific sick environments, specific sick cows. And I think that's the point we're going to hit really hard today is that there's there's a huge difference between milk produced in a sanitary, beautiful, um, biodiverse, clean environment Mm. intended for consumption as is, and milk produced with the intention of sending it to a processing facility, pasteurizing it, homogenizing it, maybe adding in flavor or fortified vitamins, whatever. Those are two different products. And unfortunately, in this conversation, they get grouped into the same, and that's where we see folks Mistreating dairy products, folks um, testing high for pathogenic bacteria. So, um, yeah, all that to say, I'm excited to jump into this. I just wanted to give a little bit of a of a shout out to that previous episode.
1: Yeah, the good news is is that this isn't a part two. You're not going to be lost. No, not at all. You can stick with us, but uh, definitely go back, jump into that episode. It's it's got some good stuff. I, I, there there is something different that we can understand. About a topic, if we understand where we came from within that topic, and so that episode, I also did go back and, and listen to it myself, and, and um, yeah, the, the review of, of kind of how we got to where we are today, I think is, is a really powerful thing to understand. And so, yeah, let's uh, let's, let's jump right into this. So we're, we're talking today about some some stigmas and some things that that maybe are out there today that that may be causing fear and or it's i feel like some folks feel as though they're trying to diffuse a, like like this this fad of mm-hmm. of raw dairy or raw milk and it, it doesn't really make a ton of sense given that Anyways, take me into take me into the arguments that that um, against raw milk.
0: Yeah, so you know it's funny you say that because I, I've even noticed that there's you know this like sort of war raging on Instagram, right? So you have some of these uh, folks, typically like traditionally trained nutritionists or whoever. Um, the one I'm thinking of is that. So I'm not trying to dog on that profession, but who quote a series of studies, basically um, disarming every argument that folks in favor of raw milk have. And it's, it's so weird, because when you look into this stuff, as the consumer, like if I didn't have six and a half years of personal experience, and conversations with folks producing milk, and have read a few, you know, two, three books, but I have another in the pipeline. So I feel like I've sat in this topic for a while, but if I didn't, and I didn't have any sort of like root system grounding me to what I believe is true about raw milk, I would be so confused. Mm. And it does feel like, you know, people like to throw out terms, like all these wellness influencers. First of all, like, I hate that term. I hate the term of this group of people centered around, quote, wellness, and all they're trying to do is persuade folks to follow a certain protocol. Like, that is not... It's,
1: What's in it for us? In that uh,
0: yeah. What is in it for us to tell people about sourcing directly from their farmer? I'm not sure. Yeah. But sort of the combative language is usually targeted at those like quote wellness influencers. I
1: think there's another thing here and, and then we need to get off this topic cuz we could talk about it for forever, but there is there is content, there is attraction to attraction, but like there is divisiveness sells. Yeah. And you see it in the media, you see you see there, there, I mean news networks would get zero attention if they weren't hyper divided against each other, mm-hmm. and and so when people when people go out of their way to use their influence to talk about how somebody else is just doing it wrong, that that is just them playing into the same narrative. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just want us to, to, to do our best as as a community, but us ourselves as well, to just not do that. Yeah, like oh my gosh, let's, let's not show up on their page on a regular basis and, and try to like act like, you know, everything they're doing is completely wrong and false because, you know, I I just feel like that's, that's when this becomes this, you know, we're, we're trying to gain attention and bring the, the, the spotlight on us Mm -hmm. by attacking someone else.
0: Yeah. It becomes more about the actual like argumentative, you know, rhetoric than it is actually about Practical, remission. right, yeah. and, and actual families, you know, sourcing dairy. So, yeah. so, anyways, um, yeah, you know, I said raw milk stigma because there's absolutely a stigma against raw dairy, and that's, uh, it's not for no reason. It is because in the United States, our regulatory agencies, mainly the CDC and the FDA, have a very strong stance against raw dairy. And we've talked in previous podcasts, you know, they have a very strong stance for genetically modified foods. They mm. have, you know, really strong stance that, you know, CAFOs, centralized animal feeding operations are just fine and dandy. So there's a lot of things that they sort of, a lot of conclusions that they arrive to that we would just as a family have a higher standard. And that's kind of how I like to say it is like, you may, you can throw all the data you want at me. That's fine. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the standard for our family. And for me, um, you know, GMOs for the most part don't fit in that standard. For me, raw milk fits in that standard for our family, whereas for them on a wide scale, it's so hard to, uh, it's not a commercial product. So it's really hard for this giant overseeing body to make claims about something that's farm individual. Mm -hmm. You know, can you imagine being in charge of, a couple million people's health and giving them advice on sourcing their food and then having just so much um, variance in okay wait what kind of cows are we dealing with over here and what's their feed and what's their supplementation and wait what's their protocol when they're milking and what are they putting where are they going directly into are they selling on the farm are they bottling at a facility like there's just a lot going on there and so I understand for the sake of consistency, for the sake of mass production. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the, the trend we see anytime It's the same argument for GMOs, to be honest. Anytime we see a regulatory agency make sort of a claim about something, it is for the benefit of the industrialized scale. And I'm not going to pretend like that's an easy job to have. I, I think anyone at the FDA or the CDC is probably just – believing strongly that these things can be dangerous and a little bit panicky about, you know, how do we keep people safe? Because they have, they feel that responsibility resting on their shoulders. Not to mention
1: just like things move slowly. Yeah. So if there was ever once a time where it was put into action that this is now a risky thing, well, to get that reversed... You know, there's gonna have to be petitions. There's gonna be like votes. There's probably like a whole political board. There's probably like, you know, this major process that they're gonna have to go through. In order to get something like that overturned, and it's probably also not at the top of the, the at the of the priority list. You right. Know I mean? So
0: yeah, we're talking about your glass of milk in the morning, you know, versus wide scale food production yeah. to feed folks. Yeah. yeah. So I did some digging, right, and I was just looking on. You know, Google Scholar typing in raw milk. What can I find? No, like raw milk benefit. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to sway the the vote any in any side in any direction. And it's interesting because I pulled some of the abstracts just to give you like a snapshot of what we were looking at. And you know this this one article starts out with an increasing number of people are consuming raw unpasteurized milk enhanced nutritional qualities taste and health benefits have been advocated as the reasons for increased inter- interest in raw milk consumption Da-da-da-da. however science based data to substantiate these claims are limited okay that's key right there um and this is the abstract so they're giving you a high level of the of the article People continue to consume raw milk, even though numerous epidemiological studies have shown clearly that raw milk can be contaminated by a variety of pathogens, some of which associated with human illness and disease. Scroll all the way down to the last sentence of the abstract. It says, (laughs) development of pre- and post-harvest control measures to effectively reduce contamination are critical to control... To the control of pathogens in raw milk, but here's the final summary. One sure way to prevent raw milk-associated foodborne illness is for consumers to refrain drinking raw milk and consuming dairy products manufactured using raw milk. That entire article... um, It can be summarized with the slant of what I just talked about, the FDA and the CDC. It is easier for them to, on a wide scale, say, listen, guys, let's just not even go there. Don't worry about it. I do think it's interesting every time I read these articles that that's kind of why I said it like this. It always is like due to, you know, increased um, conversations online or there's an increased demand for raw dairy. Increased compared to what? The last hundred years? Because if we look before Pasteur, who I believe we were reading about in 1840, um, everything was raw. Every milk produced was raw. We had never processed milk by heating it to a certain degree for a certain amount of time to kill a certain number of bacteria. And he
1: didn't even start with dairy. He didn't. So that's what, So from what I recall, it wasn't like a nationwide... Established thing until what the late 1980s.
0: Yeah, so it wasn't mandated by the uh, FDA, I believe, until like 19 what I say 1987, which I realized was like four years before I was born. So
1: I'm saying, so like we're talking about we're talking about a system to you know protect us from the pathogens or whatever that live within milk, which by the way, almost any food can be a carrier. Of, yeah, I, I just. We live in a time where you might find out that, oh my gosh, we just found salmonella in the tomatoes at Chipotle. Mm -hmm. And we're scared to drink the milk. I mean, it's just, it could be anything. It really just boils down to how you're handling food.
0: Yes, I love that. And let's go ahead and jump into that because I wanted to sort of read. I think it's just best if I just read straight from some of these websites. So I pulled up the CDC. And if you go to their... You know, raw milk question and answer. The first question, what are the risks associated with raw milk? Okay, here's their answer. Raw milk is milk from any animal that has not been pasteurized to kill harmful bacteria. Raw milk can can carry harmful bacteria and other germs. I don't even know why they use that term. That can maybe parasites or I don't Mm. know what they're even using for germs. That can make you very sick or kill you. While it is possible to get foodborne illness from many other foods, raw milk is one of the riskiest foods of all. This is straight from the CDC's website. So then you go over, you go to the list of, of um, outbreak investigations by year, mm. this is all public information, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you look for, I had to dial all the way back to 2016 to even find a raw dairy investigation, all the way back to 2016. So let's go on uh, year 2021 because that year is completed. Okay, number one, packaged salad, E. coli. Fresh express packaged salad for listeria. Dole packaged salad for another listeria outbreak. Baby spinach, salmon sticks, seafood, onions, Italian-style meats, cake mix. I don't know who is eating the raw cake mix, even though we've been told not to, but you're... (laughs) There was an investigation and that's the key word here because there's no, um, this is just what they're Mm -hmm. looking into. Mm -hmm. This isn't necessarily conclusions. Pre-packaged salad comes up yet again. Um, Fully cooked chicken, frozen cooked shrimp, raw frozen breaded stuffed chicken products. That's a very specific one. Cashew brie, shout out to all my vegan cheese eaters ground turkey queso fresco and then unknown source okay so uh, raw milk's not even on the f- stinking list for 2021 now
1: the argument could be made is that it's not being regulated right like if right well,
0: no so the argument could be made that so, while well, so few people dr- you know everyone eats packaged salad but so few raw milk drinkers drink raw milk so you know it'd be really concerning if it Mm. was on the list because the percentage of folks consuming it is so low Mm -hmm. so it would like represent a mass amount per you Mm -hmm. know those consuming it it's not regulated yes you're right in that instance but this is folks coming into the hospital or calling up their doctor and saying hey i feel sick then the doctor is probably going to colonize them and see, hey, can we find anything in your blood or stool sample or whatever, what's going on here, treat you with antibiotics, and and then go back to the source. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I just highly recommend. Anyone who's has any extra hours in your day. It's so it's such a fascinating read to read The Raw Milk Revolution because what the author does in that book is, goes through several of the, quote, investigations from raw milk, um, quote, outbreaks. Mm. It's so interesting because almost every, every single time, the specific strain of bacteria that is believed to have caused the illness cannot be found on the farm. There are other times where there will be a flag thrown up. Hey, we find listeria in your milk. And then they do other tests, and it can't be found. Hmm. And so then you're wondering, okay, is this something that occurred in the lab? Was this a mistest? Was this of malintent? Like, what's going on here? Because it, it will be out of blue, and it'll all out of the blue, and almost always attack small, raw dairy farmers. And then soon after, legislation will follow. Oh, we found some uh, listeria. Didn't cause any illness recorded in the state, but because we think we found these cells in your milk, here we go. So
1: I, I think to, if, if I were to take the other side of this for a moment and, I, and I'm making the decision on whether or not to make raw milk a widespread, commonly practiced, you know, it, it just becomes milk again. And if you want to your, pasteurize your milk, you can. I would, I would be weighing out the risk and the, you know, the return, you know, benefit. And and be talking to a team at the, you know, USDA or the FDA or whoever's making these decisions. And I'd say, okay, you know, what are the risks involved with raw dairy? And they'd say, okay, well, you know, that you can find pathogens in it. And and then I would ask, well, does it just always have pathogens in it? Or, oh, no, 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 it just has, has to do with being mistreated. I mean, is that that the case?
0: Um, Yeah, and and we talk about that in the previous episode, and so let's review a piece of that. Well,
1: before you even do that, let me make my point. Okay. So I'm talking to my team, and they tell me that, hey, Joey, if the milk is mistreated by people that are producing it or handling it or whatever, now we're in a situation that people could get sick, so we'll have to regulate everyone that handles milk. Mm Mm-hmm. Or we can state a process that will maintain calcium levels, I don't know, whatever else dairy has in it, vitamin B.
0: Yeah, all sorts of things. Vitamin A, A2. A2 is different, but whatever.
1: That, you know, we can maintain those. So it'll still be a nutritional beverage. And There's going to be some benefits to drinking milk it just just needs to be run through this process and then we can then we can move on from milk and go somewhere else uh, you know and 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 i'm very in support of, of of drinking raw milk that just sounds completely normal to me mm-hmm. it sounds very reasonable and because at the end of the day i believe maybe maybe we'll edit this out if this is a bad thing to say but if raw dairy did become very widespread and very normalized and everywhere was was creating was 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 producing raw milk you would absolutely start seeing people that were mishandling raw milk and then potentially people getting sick yeah i agree and so i think the issue would be is that as soon as this like let's say let's say we start a petition and we get it overturned here's here's the thing that I feel like would become potential. I mean, it would just become news content and it would be on, it would be on the cycle, right? You know, crazies get pasteurization overturned. Raw milk becomes the standard. Now look at all these people getting sick. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the thought there would be, well, you know, not pasteurizing the milk is the problem, which, you know, they have an argument to make. However, you could go back a couple steps and identify that, hey, all these loons that are that are taking this milk milk in and processing it and transporting it are making some critical errors in some way or another. I just feel like that therein lies the issue here. Is that there is absolutely no way this could be widespread and people wouldn't get sick. And it's not because of raw milk. It's because of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just read off freaking salad, what was it, packaged salad.
0: five different instances of salad being the, and that's the funny thing. It's like whenever we have this conversation, oh, but foodborne illnesses. And it's like, okay, but we don't sit here and say like, oh, CDC doesn't recommend eating salad greens anymore. But that's what I'm
1: trying to say here. Everything can make you sick. Right. Uh, You just, I mean, you walk up to buy a a bag of lettuce. Mm Mm-hmm. You're talking about a cake mix. This stuff's dry. <laughs> I know. It's on the shelf. It could be sitting there for, you know, three years and it's ready to <clears throat> ready to attack you. I just, I think it's a crazy thing because there, is, I will never argue with somebody that raw milk, you know, if it was, if it was just like widespread when people would be getting sick because I'd be like, Everything's getting people sick.
0: Well, and that's the, the, it comes back to this. And this is maybe idealistic. And this is where people get frustrated because the solution's not, hey, it can happen in five years. But anytime you're producing food on a huge scale, anytime you have a few people producing a lot of food, guess what? Something's going to go yeah. awry. And the same thing is for dairy. And I agree with you. I don't think that saying, I mean, I mean, and that's that's kind of the point, right? Like if if today we went to every single commercial dairy I said, hey, just kidding, you can step, you can skip the pasteurization process of your milk. Just go ahead and sell directly to consumers. We would have some problems because there are plenty of folks, and I'm not trying to dog on conventional dairy producers because sometimes people are like, you know, we don't run these awful, nasty uh, operations around here. There's a different level of intentionality when you know you're selling to someone who is going to be drinking that straight from your cow versus when you are selling to a processing plant and your milk is being combined with hundreds of other cows milks and processed all through the same and some of the butter fat removed mm-hmm. and then some added back in at different quantities like there's just a lot going on there and so i i do believe though that the, as they arrive on the on the at the processing plant, I do believe their milk is tested to some degree. I have mm. heard that from some conventional dairy farmers. Although in reading, in pre- in preparation for this episode, I've seen the, the data pointing that conventional dairy with the intent of pasteurization actually has higher counts of pathogens, which would make sense, mm. right? Because you have a little bit of a crutch to lean on. You've got a little bit of a safety mechanism in place, and so I, I don't know. I think it would be really fascinating to have someone on the podcast who is a producer, maybe someone who produced conventionally and then switched to raw. Dairy well, so production. there's no there's no
1: question that dairy operations today have developed some dependencies on the pasteurization of the milk that they're that they're producing. Sure, and. And it's okay that they do because they're, I guarantee you, every time they put another batch out, that gets sent off to the oh well, yeah, we tested it. We had these like alarming things, but don't worry, it's going to the processing plant, so we'll be fine. And I don't know. I mean, I mean, I assume that that would happen. I just can't imagine that it doesn't. You know, your milk is going to get. Pasteurized. hmm Thus, the, the intentionality behind how you treat that milk lowers. Even if the you're standard being... standard lowers. E-
0: even if you're being intentional, but you're doing it at such a large scale, there's just some oh, room yeah. for human error, animal error, machine error. Like something might just break in the system. It's not necessarily like... <sighs> you're a bad farmer and you don't care about your cows. I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that anyone conventional, organic, whatever is sitting in that, sitting in that stance. But I do believe that if we're going to have a conversation about raw milk, we have to differentiate between raw milk created to be consumed as such and dairy producers who send their milk to be processed. Another article I pulled up or I just, you know, looked at the abstract Um, you know, I looked at a couple of these and it's frustrating because they will make a claim and say, you know, raw milk advocates claim that milk has probiotic qualities, but it doesn't period. No source, nothing. (laughs) Raw milk advocates claim that... So they're not
1: testing raw milk to make these claims. They're just saying... that. Well, they're
0: not citing their sources. I have no idea. So so another one is like raw milk claims that the vitamin content is decreased by... uh, Raw milk advocates claim that vitamin content is decreased by the pasteurization process, which Mm. is something that we've talked about. And they'll either say, well, that's not true. But again, no sourcing. Um, Or they will say the vitamin content of this particular nutrient is so low we would never look to milk as a main source for xyz Mm. so why do we even care i mean it's negligible basically they're saying the the benefits greatly outweigh the risks with pasteurization because yeah we might lose a little bit of vitamin content here but like we're not relying on that food that's like Mm. it's like eating a carrot for protein you would never do that But an interesting thing I was reading last night was on the flip side of that, Sally Fallon Morrell, who is the founder and president of the Weston A. Price Foundation, they are pioneering the work of Dr. Weston A. Price, who was a dentist in the early 1900s, sort of turned nutritional researcher because Mm. he basically traveled around the world um, looking to study folks' oral health and then noticed that, hey, oral health... um, translates to overall really good health. Mm. And what's this connection? What's this missing link? Oh, it's food. Mm. And, of course, people aren't all eating the same diets. Folks in the Swiss mountains are eating something way different than folks up in, you know, northern Alaska. But Mm. the nutrient quality is generally the same. And so he basically mapped out in this very large textbook that has gone through several revisions Um, The key components to diets of folks sort of in that ancestral hunter-gatherer society, Mm. pre-industrialization, folks that have not had, you know, white flour and sugar brought into their society. Um, And so Sally Fallon Morrell does a lot of work in this area because obviously raw dairy was a huge, huge food group for a lot of those folks. Mm. And so for all these people today to say, hey, raw dairy is so dangerous, but like seems to be on the rise, is like looking at 50 years when you should be looking at 5,000 years, right? It's short-sighted. It's a weird statement to say that raw dairy consumption is on the rise because history would tell us otherwise. Now, is it peaking back up? Sure, but let's not forget what life looked like before Louis Pasteur. But she goes on to explain how. Um,
1: would a lot of people, I just I can't help but I feel like if I was on the other side of this, I'd be hearing you say that and be like, "Does this lady not know how many people were dying from food before Louis Pasteur?" I just feel like that would be the, that would be the thing that I would say to you. I'd be like, even just hearing you say that, I'm like, I feel like I could annihilate you with that with that argument. But right, like I mean, while pasteurization and people have been drinking raw milk for like a long time. It's not a big deal to make a statement. Like, don't forget about what we were doing before the pasteurization. I'm thinking, well, pasteurization probably happened because lots of people were dying because of food. Now it's not because of the food, right? It's because of our practices and how we made the food. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying people were dying from food, right?
0: Yes. P- people were absolutely getting sick from milk. 1000%. um, The main contributor to that illness was that the cows had tuberculosis and the Mm -hmm. cows were passing their TB through the milk, just as, you know, any bodily fluid Mm -hmm. (laughs) to folks and folks were dying of TB, not to mention folks already were having poor health. And this was happening in the cities. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of, I guess I gloss over this because we talked about this in the previous episode, but you know, for those who haven't listened, there was a time period, a critical shift in society when the industrial revolution was happening. And before that, we lived in an agrarian society, people had small cow or small, you know, a family cow or a small homestead or a neighbor's cow or something. Mm -hmm. Okay, you probably had a cow on the street. And, you know, you would milk your cow twice a day, you're not going inside to boil that because we didn't even have an understanding of microbes basically mm-hmm. until Louis Pasteur came on the scene. And there were some other folks too. And that's the interesting piece is like, we always give Louis Pasteur the attention, but, um, Antone, Anthony, I forget his first name, but he was also a microbiologist, but believed in a very different philosophy than Pasteur did. And so the issue arised when those, um, folks moved into the city and brought their cows with them mm-hmm. and then we stopped feeding these cows on green lush pasture and we gave them the leftover um distillery grains the mash from making um, or
1: whatever they were eating in the vodka, city that wasn't yeah. a pasture
0: yeah corn i mean and any th- as you said in the previous episode, almost like a garbage disposal. I mean, the same way that pigs have been treated for centuries, you know, pigs have literally been consuming people's trash and they have been used in society as a garbage disposal because they can just pretty much eat anything. I mean, plastic, garbage, human waste, I mean, everything we've been feeding to pigs for that purpose and then butchering the family pig. I mean, it's wild. So cows, definitely suffered through this change in environment change in feed but like i said it's so telling that it was a hundred year period between the documentation of oh my gosh people are getting really sick in the cities with tb but then like you go in the countryside you don't see that same thing happening okay but mm-hmm. so often the concentration of problems in in, in urban areas influence policy nationwide mm-hmm. right so that's kind of the trickle down effect of hey, after a hundred years have spanned, how many people were consuming raw dairy that whole time just fine? It comes down again to quality. What are the animals eating, and how yeah. are they being treated, and how are we milking the cows? I mean, that's why people don't like this. That's why people don't want to touch this subject because it's. You can always say, but quality.
1: Yeah. yeah. So could the argue could the argument be made that for Large scale production, having things in place like pasteurization could theoretically be good for those people that want to drink mass produced things.
0: Well, there's then
1: small batch. I'm just like right now it feels like
0: like art, like artisan milk, like artisanal. Yeah,
1: yeah. I just feel like I, I, I don't know how else to 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 craft this it feels like we have it pretty good right now it's just not as accessible Mm -hmm. right
0: you're trying to jump to the solution of raw milk accessibility
1: so it's like right now it's not super accessible but it feels like generally pretty safe yeah because most raw milk producers or providers or people that have it available for you are these small little farms that they just take care of their cows and it's not like these big operations that are trying to send it all over the country and that was right, that was that was what got us in trouble the first time. Um is mass producing this sort of thing.
0: Well, I mean, I mass producing is a interesting term. I'm not sure. I mean a couple hundred cows maybe mm-hmm. eaten off this distillery swill. So compared to a couple thousand, yeah, I mean everything's gotten bigger and better. But um organic pastures uh, dairy company in California I believe is the largest um raw milk producer mm. in the united states and they sell on store shelves in in the states where that's legal mm. and i was trying to look up how many cows they had i'm not sure but they actually opened up a raw milk institute to try to equip more people to be able to sell raw dairy nice. so that's very much their goal and their vision is to bridge the exact gap you're talking about because you're right you can't just walk into a conventional uh dairy farm Mm. And say, hey, cool, let's just skip the pasteurization. But um, back to my Sally Fallon point, she and the vitamin content, right? So, so her argument is actually like, hey, there, there might be, quote, lower levels of particular vitamins in milk. And yeah, pasteurization can inhibit those or destroy those to some degree. But the actual thing that pasteurization does is it destroys the enzymes, and, the, and actually, a, one way that you test whether pasteurization was successful or not is measuring if this particular enzyme is still in the milk because they identified that a particular enzyme basically has a higher heat tolerance than any pathogenic bacteria that humans might encounter. Mm. So as long as we kill that guy, everything below him with a lower heat tolerance is also out. Mm. And so the issue with destroying enzymes intentionally – This is intentional. This is why I don't understand when people say it doesn't destroy enzymes. Yes, it does. That's the goal. The enzymes are what help our body assimilate the vitamins. So, Sally makes the point to say, "Hey, maybe, maybe milk registers so quote low in vitamin content because it also carries." such specific enzymes that help the body assimilate those vitamins and it is nature's perfect formula to say hey this is exactly how you need how you need it and how we're going to get it into your body so i just found that that stance is interesting and and then again she says she makes the point to say you know what is a low level of vitamin content who is who is relying on this for b12 what about all the vegetarians who rely on milk right? They're not vegan, but they're vegetarian. They don't eat meat, but they drink Mm -hmm. milk for their vitamin B12. And then you have folks saying like, oh, vitamin B12 is like kind of low. What if they're drinking five to six glasses a day? What if you're a toddler and you're drinking, you know, four, eight ounce glasses a day or whatever? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm thinking about our kids. Remember Ruth? She used to basically live on milk and so to say in general population you know serving sizes are so different Um, the amount that milk provides you nourishment compared to other foods is so different little kids in particular rely on that a lot more so Just an example to show that it's, it's even, it goes even beyond like, okay, well, we can measure vitamin count before pasteurization and then after pasteurization and look, they're the same. There's other things at play. Mm -hmm. Milk is a whole food that works synergistically within itself, which means that the enzymes help and the butterfat help. And, um, it's just a whole big party in there. And when you take out a couple of the guests, you can't assume that the rest of the you know group vibe isn't also changed. So mm-hmm.
1: that's interesting, but that the kids, uh, you know, when thinking back to how much milk Ruthie drank and Ray drank a lot of milk too, and and you know when people when adults think about, hey, why are you making such a big case about raw milk? I hate milk. I mean, that's how. That's what I hear most mm-hmm. often. I don't drink milk. What are you three? <laughs> and I'm like. Well, I guess that's a great point. This is affecting kids mm-hmm. more than anybody else mm-hmm. you know and and um I mean anybody listening to this probably knows three to five people that have taken their kids to a i don't know get a get a um sensitivity test or what is it an allergy test mm-hmm. and the doctor says hey, yep yeah, dairy they're they're allergic to dairy mm-hmm." everyone's allergic to dairy. I'm like, but, why? Mm -hmm. Why is everybody all of a sudden, but why are we all getting allergic to dairy? And some people will tell me, well, you know, our testing is just getting better and these kinds of things have always been there. That's that's one thing that I hear. And then I hear, you know, um, that uh, our dairy products might just not be a sufficient source of Easily digestible milk. It's, it's just not even for me. I was, I was even having a discussion in my office recently. If I go to Chipotle, which I don't really go very much anymore, I can't remember the last time I went to Chipotle. If I go, if I go to Chipotle and I order uh, a burrito bowl, right, and I avoid the sour cream and the cheese that meal will generally make me feel better than if I have the sour cream cheese on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And my initial thought is, well, man, you know, maybe I'm just not super down with with dairy. Oh my gosh. If I go to UDF or like a Grater's or a ice cream shop and I get an ice cream or a milkshake or something, I will feel miserable the next day. Miserable. To the point where I'm like, maybe I have like a, a dairy sensitivity. Yeah if if I consume two raw milk protein shakes and eat some organic raw, or yeah, like organic ingredients, raw milk ice cream, I feel fantastic. Now, that is the most research that I have done on the dairy front. But, what, but I think that kind of speaks towards that, that Sally Fallon bit that you were just saying is that these enzymes that kind of make this milk more digestible aren't in there.
0: Yeah. And, and it's, it goes even beyond that, right? Because any food that we eat interacts with the um, microbiome in our gut. Mm-hmm. And something we mentioned in the previous podcast is that dairy, when it's not been pasteurized, actually has the ability to sort of like cue up our lactase production which Mm. is the enzyme that we hold in our gut to digest lactose lactose intolerance i find this fascinating because i see this with kids and with babies and people say oh my baby's lactose intolerant i can't have any milk but human breast milk contains lactose so it's really confusing to me why we would think that human infants would be intolerant to something to a key sugar in human mammal milk Mm -hmm. um i don't know if people understand like uh, when people cut out dairy because they are breastfeeding their child and they are lactose intolerant your own milk has lactose in it so at that has always confused me and maybe there's clarity there that I'm lacking and I should read more on that but I, I've always been like what in the and the first time I ever discovered that was when I was making my own homemade formula and uh, I was using a recipe that was developed by a PhD nutritionist and she was basically saying hey all these components are in here because they mimic or they are the exact same thing as breast milk And I had to physically add in a bag of lactose. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. I had to buy lactose, which is just the sugar in milk. Mm -hmm. Obviously, mine was cow's milk derived. But then I remember reading like, oh, my gosh, human breast milk has lactose in it. Lactose is just a sugar. So anyways, something we mentioned in the previous podcast is that Drinking raw milk somehow facilitates this production and that's where people who are against it call our bluff and they say, well, raw milk doesn't have lactase, doesn't contain the enzyme lactase in it. It doesn't do that, and so it doesn't help with lactose intolerance, but what folks are actually saying is, hey, when it's digested in the body, it's facilitating this enzyme to be more productive to then help us digest that. And when it doesn't get digested in the small intestine, then that lactose ferments in the large intestine, leading to gas and bloating, and that's when you get those uh, less desirable symptoms is just because your body's still working on it, but it, it didn't happen in the right sort of quadrant of your mm. intestinal tract. And so like, and this is again where it's like, we live in a society that so veers away from anecdotal evidence. And I understand, I, I get that it's hard to, put a lot of weight in people's lived experiences mm-hmm. because people have biases that they're not even aware of. Mm-hmm. People might not get their facts right. People might remember things differently than how they happened. But to say, like, it, if I were to to go off of what the CDC and the FDA say about raw dairy, that it will um, absolutely kill me is is basically what I'm reading on their website – uh, I'm like six and a half years deep into consuming raw dairy. And that's something I I talk to other folks too. And they're like, yeah, we've been drinking raw dairy for 10 years. Yeah, I grew up on raw dairy or I've only ever had raw dairy. We have to be careful not to um, minimize anecdotal evidence to the point of completely negating it and then only using the same three pitch lines because it's it's fascinating to me that, again, And some of the articles I was reading that were very uh, trying to debunk the myths of, you know, the benefits of raw dairy, they would start out with the story of, you know, raw dairy can contain harmful pathogens, look back to the 1800s when people were dying of tuberculosis. And I say many times over that the the reasons why raw dairy might pose a risk today is not from the pathogens of the past right, we now test our cows for TB. We have testing mechanisms to make sure our cows are healthy. So we're not concerned about getting TB from a cow anymore. What we're concerned with is just like the lettuce and everything else, was there any contamination in the process? Mm. And that brings me to a really fascinating study done by the Raw Milk Institute, who like I said, their whole goal is to standardize raw milk production because mark mcafee really believes in it and he's actually come under intense fire over the years he's had the california department of such and such i don't know food and drug and all sorts of things on his property scouring i mean they shut him down for uh, shut down production in his facility for months all to find zero evidence of a perceived um foodborne illness Mm. you can read about it in the book but um mark mcafee is a really um, big sort of point person in this raw milk brigade um and and so they did i'm looking for it right here but they did a study where they actually took milk that was produced um to be consumed as raw so good high quality milk doesn't start out dirty or Mm -hmm. infected and they introduced um Pathogens into the milk and studied the pathogen growth over the, the course of like 14 days in refrigerated temperatures. Mm. So they wanted to basically see, hey, what, what does the pathogenic bacteria do in the milk when it's stored at a cool temperature like in the refrigerator? And, um, you know, E. coli and salmonella um, can't be low bacter- and listeria were the four that they were testing and so they they looked at them for 14 days Um, it says the most relevant finding of the study was that the moderate um, inoculum level one no pathogen growth was observed through at least six days of refrigerated storage so they were measuring every single day do we see it do we see it do we see it do we see it now day six something else over this study period of 14 days Um, The counts per milliliter of E. coli, salmonella, and campylobacter decreased over time. And I've said this before, raw milk has has been documented to have some protective mechanisms in place that would actually, it's, it's not like you add a drop of dye into a creamy white vat of milk and the whole thing turns purple. And I think that's the... That's the imagery we get in our head of like, oh my gosh, a pathogen was introduced, and now it's just spreading, and we can't stop it, and it's multiplying, and it's, and and they're showing right here that that's not the case. That this is a biological living food teeming with tons of different bacteria and all sorts of things. Like I'd, I'd love to get Caitlin back on the podcast and have a look at some raw milk under a microscope and tell us like what she's seeing and what's going on because it's so much more complex. It's like a whole little universe under there. And so it's not this cut and dry, hey, we introduced salmonella, now there's this, now there's mm-hmm. salmonella times X in our milk. They're actually seeing the the opposite thing. And this is intentionally inoculating milk. This isn't like, hey, we stumbled upon it and we found it. Mm. And so I, I just think that like, we have this research going on and simultaneously the only thing I can find from the opposing side is uh, is a continuation of the same story we've heard over and over again, but mixing of either timelines or sources of illness or saying the same thing. And it, it sort of feels rehearsed. Hmm. It's like when you're in a conversation with someone and they give you five lines and then you go turn to the next person, they said the same five things. It's like, were you guys all just in a meeting mm-hmm. discussing what you're talking about? Like, and that's where it's really hard for the consumer. And so, I don't know if you have any reaction to that. I don't know what your thoughts are so far, but
1: no, I, a lot of that went over my head to be honest with you. So I'm just <laughs> enjoying the conversation. And and uh, you know, you, you're gonna have to boil that down for me and tell me basically what you said.
0: Okay, so they took milk, okay, from a raw dairy operation. Yeah, that was clean, like you could drink it, ready to go, and they introduced. Four strains of known. Yeah, I got that. They put pathogens
1: in it, but you were saying like, what they didn't produce in the milk, right? Okay, so but they were still in there.
0: So yes, they were introduced, and then they studied that milk over fourteen days, and they saw that levels didn't increase, didn't increase, didn't increase, didn't increase. Then they found that over the full fourteen day period, there was a select group where the the amount actually—I don't know—that it increased first, like it peaked and then decreased, but it definitely decreased, and now I've lost the tab. But it says Salmonella E. coli, which there's a specific strain of E. coli. It's zero one five seven, you know, H seven is the pathogenic form of E. coli. All the other form is is not pathogenic. And Campylobacter, I hate saying that one, Campylobacter, decreased overs- over time. These results indicate that when stored at recommended refrigerated temperature, moderate to high counts of E. coli, salmonella, and Campylobacter did not multiply over time in raw milk. Um, which again is just talking about the resiliency mm. of raw dairy. It's talking about even when we intentionally introduce something that we fear might lead to and again, just because you have a pathogen in milk doesn't mean that people are gonna get sick. This
1: is So So I hold on here. Because you're not giving me any contrasting things to actually understand this. If you introduce bacteria or the pathogens into other things, are you telling me that that pathogens getting into raw milk is actually safer than most things?
0: So that's the stance of a lot of folks is that raw milk has built in protective measures to, to decrease our likelihood of getting sick because of the various compounds in it. And I'll pull up. So
1: what if you took pasteurized milk and you put a pathogen in it?
0: That's a great question. So that actually happened. Um, The one instance recorded where someone has died after consumption of a raw milk product was with a raw cheese that was a soft cheese produced in mexico and that cheese situation they mixed raw milk and pasteurized milk and when you have pasteurized milk with all of those enzymes remember completely inactivated it can be a terrible vector because you're you're it's it's the same thing like you're wiping out the ecosystem that's built in place and then you're introducing something to now take over, and I'm king, and I've already burned all the cities, so like I'll just reign. Versus having a defense mechanism. I mean, that's a great analogy to say, "Hey, you're you're either walking into a well defended wall around the city, uh, armed guards, and all the bacteria, everything, yes, all the bacteria, okay. all the enzymes, all the
1: so when you when you when you pasteurize that, all of those those." Ba- bacteria, natural bacterias, enzymes and whatnot become—I don't know—destroyed yes. or removed. What, what's happening to them? Are they just asleep? Like,
0: well, the, en- the enzymes are destroyed by via heat. Okay. And like I said, that that is the main. Um...
1: And then a pathogen comes in, and it has, it has more. It's almost like a distilled version that it can—I don't know—propagate in or or multiply within
0: right so so i'll read this from the real slash safety right real milk hyphen milk that is pasture raised meaning raised on a pasture not pasteurized full fat and unprocessed is in is an inherently safe food that's because raw milk contains numerous bioactive components that a kill pathogens in the milk this is their claim and then they list a ton of things that would do that. Okay, so if you want to hear me pronounce things, lactoperoxidase, lactoferrin, leukocytes, macrophages, neutrophils, antibodies, medium chain fatty acids, lysoma, B twelve, something all kind. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, it also prevents pathogen absorption across the intestinal wall. And then another list of really long words. And then it strengthens the immune system through the l- lymphocytes, the immunoglobulins, the antibodies, hormones, and growth factors. Okay. These are all three points that are disputed by the FDA and the CDC, but these are points being made by folks in the raw milk community. So, again, I don't know how to cross those. I don't know how to make a Venn diagram of the research other than saying this is what this person says and this is what the other person says. And that's kind of why we're talking through yeah, it. totally. Because... I, like I said before, these folks are not sitting down in a room together. Mm-hmm. You have a raw milk symposium with a bunch of raw milk f- dairy farmers and a bunch of real food advocates, and they're vibing and they're hanging out and they love each other. And then you have like the CDC and the FDA who are like, wow, we've saved so many lives through pasteurization. How great. Da, da, da. Mm. It's hard to do this contrasting analysis of when the experts disagree. But that's just the world we live in. Mm. So we're left to decipher what's going on. So what's the best thing we can do? A, we can read books that go into more detail. Like you want to talk about understanding the legalities and regulations behind raw milk? Read the raw milk revolution. You want to talk about the history at length of raw dairy? Read um, the untold story of milk. Mm. There are several books, right? You can read dr price's nutrition and physical degeneration where he's literally just documenting what people are consuming Mm. and once people see hey uh, people are consuming this this is a regular part of their diet that's so interesting what changed between then and now we start to put the pieces together as consumers Mm. but most people don't have time in their day to investigate this i was just driven by A child I'm looking at that a needed fed and b needed support nutritionally, and so I was a very driven mother of a four month old, trying to figure this out and hustle and read all I could. Mm. And since then, have just continued learning and absorbing information over the last six years. That's exactly what this podcast is. So I know you're like frustrated, like, well, why can't we see like exactly okay this argument and then this argument and where are your sources? Because It's, it's not there. It's complicated.
1: Right on. So there's other raw dairy products. We mm-hmm. were talking a lot about milk and you know it's, it's funny cuz I think the, every time we talk about this I can't help but feel like these days milk just ain't what it used to be. Not only just in the sense that it literally isn't but also you know nobody's nobody's like talking about milk. Nobody's yeah. drinking milk.
0: Well, people are talking about it, but they're bashing it hardcore. Well, I
1: mean, and and the people, raw milk maybe, but like, or or like adults sitting down and having a glass of milk with dinner at this point is abnormal.
0: Yeah. There was actually just a recent article. I forget who it was, but... It it was like going around social media and it was like adults who still drink milk, are you mentally well? Basically trying to paint this picture that adults who consume dairy products, because there's so much evidence yeah. to say that dairy products are not fit for humans, that folks who choose to drink milk are like mentally unwell. That's, That's a, propaganda is it, what that is.
1: Anyways, um, there's other dairy products. Yes, there are. And we can deem these as raw as well. And I've got listed down here. I've got cheese, yogurt.
0: I, this
1: kefir, it looks like kefir.
0: Yeah. People say it all kinds of ways. Whatever.
1: So. Whatever that is. I don't even know what that is.
0: It's like an effervescent fermented uh, beverage.
1: Effervescent?
0: Effervescent. What does that mean? Like bubbly. Like, um, uh, what do you mean? What Carbonated? It? It's... it's Yes, naturally through fermentation okay, it doesn't the, have co2 injected into it, but
1: you could have said carbonate
0: but it's effervescent okay anyway
1: fancy <laughs> and then there's butter and <laughs> and I have down here ice cream because you know ice cream but talk to me about talk to me about cheese
0: yeah we so raw milk in its fluid state is harder to source than Uh, cheese for sure you can actually find raw cheese sold in every state in the u.s i believe and raw milk cheese is essentially just cheese made from unpasteurized milk it's exactly how it sounds now some people make some differentiations like when you're making the cheese you can only heat it to this certain temperature to to keep everything intact as much as possible um but raw cheeses are uh, they can be anything they can be hard soft they have to be aged for at least 60 days via the fda's requirements because of i guess 60 days is the timeline when they're like all right you know anything that might have been in there is gone i'm assuming Mm. um but honestly personally for our family i have a quote, harder time sourcing raw cheese than I have sourcing raw dairy. That's only because I personally don't like the flavor of the raw cheese provided by our HerdShare program. It's too tangy for me. And I find the same thing with our butter. And so most of the time I'm just buying organic cheese at the store. And, you know, something we talked about in the previous podcast is like, well, organic milk is not the next best thing to raw milk because unfortunately organic dairies are so far and few between that the milk has to travel faster or further. And so because of that, they have to ultra high temp pasteurize the organic brands mm. of milk, unless you're dealing with a cream top milk, like a non-homogenized, like a, um, Kelowna Supernatural is a great brand that does organic, low-temp pasteurization, non-homogenized, but they're an outlier in that situation. You're walking into your normal Kroger or your Walmart or whatever, you're seeing an an organic brand of milk that is ultra-high-temp pasteurized, which, shockingly, renders that product shelf-stable. The only reason why it is sold in the refrigerated section is to not freak you out. It does not have to be refrigerated. Mm. It can be. It could be on the center shelves. So anyways, the difference there, and I'm making this clarification here, is that cheese, while it can be made from organic milk, actually cannot be made from organic milk that has undergone ultra-high-temp pasteurization because the proteins have been so denatured that it does not coagulate, which should tell you something, right? Like we're okay to eat this really denatured, protein-wise food, which why do we drink milk? It's a great source of protein. We're willing to drink that in its fluid form, but if we go to make cheese with it, it doesn't work anymore. Mm. That's a concern for me. So, the good thing about buying organic cheese in the grocery store is actually it's it's made from milk that is just regular. Uh, it's probably high temp, low sp- or low speed. I don't know. But it's not ultra high temp pasteurized, which is one step in the right direction um now if i travel all the way to Whole foods i can probably find a wider selection of raw cheeses if i go to uh maybe a more upscale grocer Mm -hmm. i can find raw cheeses our our kroger right down the street used to carry raw parmesan which was awesome Mm. they since stopped carrying that so it just depends on what's in your area um yogurt with um Raw milk is definitely a different texture. Our yogurt that we source from the farm, and if we eventually make some, is is much thinner. It's not this like really thick, beautiful spoon it up. It's it's almost drinkable. It's almost like uh, pourable mm-hmm. yogurt. Um, still has a great taste, great flavor, but it's definitely a different consistency. I think because it is um not heated to the same degree, and maybe doesn't. Jellify? I don't know mm. if that's even a word.
1: I bet you some of these yogurt companies to achieve the texture that they're getting are putting like gelatin in or something. Yeah, yeah. I just, sometimes I see it and I think to myself, goodness gracious. Now, now okay, now I'll back up a little bit as I'm thinking about it. I see the heavy cream that comes from our farm. And I think to myself, that is extremely thick in comparison to the heavy cream you buy from the store.
0: So the reason for that being so thick is because our specific farm utilizes a method called spun cream to separate the cream from the other milk. And so they're spinning it. They're sort of agitating it, sort of aerates it to some degree. They're also only skimming off the very top portion of the cream, which is the heavy cream. So you have heavy cream, then you have like regular cream, and then you have milk underneath.
1: Mm -hmm. So we're just getting like
0: the gold bind of the cream. I know other people that are in other herd shares that their cream. I mean, I get messages all the time. Why is my cream not as thick as yours? I'm like, it's still great cream. It's just the method that our farm uses specifically to separate it. But, um, I do think that, uh, some of the milk in the store has some added sort of texture enhancers. I, I believe that that's true. Um, so moving, I don't know a ton about kefir. I I don't really drink it. Our farm sells it. I don't, are they, they offer it. I don't, really partake in it maybe we will but Mm. I don't feel like I have much to add there but butter I think is interesting because I again have had the the butter made from the farm that we are a part of and I hated it honestly Mm. it was too tangy for me it didn't have that delicious savory butter flavor it was just like a sour cheese almost Mm. And then I made my own from fresh cream from the farm same farm so same base product butter is just churned cream You don't have to add anything to it or you just literally are taking it down. You're reducing it down You're taking out the buttermilk Mm -hmm. and you're reducing it And the butter was fantastic And so my conclusion there is that the butter made at the farm just isn't removing all of the buttermilk Because if you leave even just a little bit of buttermilk in it can sour Mm. much easier So if if you're sourcing raw butter and you're like, man, I don't really like the way that this tastes, try making it yourself. Try using a sweet cream butter recipe and being really intentional about getting out all of that buttermilk and see if you like it. Mm. Um, Butter's so easy to make. Mm. You really, anyone can make it. It's, it's, everyone used to make it, Mm. right? So it's real simple. And ice cream, finally, Um, we started making raw milk ice cream a couple years ago. And initially my parents were like, well, we have to heat the milk to melt the, the sugar and help it all dissolve and i was like why are we taking this beautiful raw milk and then heating it on the stove to make ice cream that doesn't make any sense so we switched from granulated sugars which yes would have a harder time assimilating to a maple syrup yeah and then we just mix that up together yeah. throw that in the ice cream maker let it churn and it's beautiful whole raw milk it's
1: fantastic i'm a huge fan of the of the raw milk ice cream yeah and and i'm I'm, no research behind this other than the fact that if I eat regular ice cream, I feel bad. Mm-hmm. If I eat this ice cream, I do not feel bad. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, freaking money. I'm into that. Yeah. I'm into the, the, having the ability to eat ice cream and be... It's the same thing we talk about with this idea that fast food chains and mass production of food and, and, and the USDA have, have demonized foods like cheeseburgers and pizza and and i'm like dude i eat a lot of burgers pizza and ice cream <laughs> and
0: that's I, so true i'm in
1: fantastic shape yeah and i feel great and I, it's just it's just it's so funny when you think about it because now over overdoing doing anything right if i ate a gallon of raw milk ice cream a day
0: it'd be a lot but a lot of sugar i
1: would be in rough shape but this idea that, you know, take, you know, don't eat ice cream. It's bad for you. It's just, it's different when you've made it with whole ingredients. It becomes this treat that your body knows how to consume and digest and, 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 um, your metabolism can, can deal with it a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I, uh, I'm down with the raw cream or the raw dairy ice cream.
0: Yeah, I am too. So, I mean, I think we're running out of time here, but I think that wraps up sort of the conversation about, you know, like I said earlier, when experts disagree, mm-hmm. this raw milk debate continues and it will continue and I, I, we'll continue covering it. if yeah. there's a breaking story, we'll cover it here. Totally. Um, I think it's just important to highlight the difference in language, the difference in approach, the difference in um theology behind these two sort of camps that are saying very different, reaching very different outcomes when it comes to raw dairy. Obviously, our platform is very pro-raw dairy Mm -hmm. when it is responsibly sourced.
1: And we we, we go into a lot of the sourcing we were going to talk about today, but go go back and find that raw dairy episode that we put out uh, in March of 2022. And it, uh, it it has a whole portion of that that talks about ways you can find raw dairy yourself.
0: It's near the end. You know
1: how, how you find a herd share near you. You know what we? I think we even go to, from what I recall, states and countries and and their legalities around uh, raw dairy. It's great. It's fantastic. Hey, if you live in California, good for you. Mm-hmm. you. You should be. You know, you should be able to find this. Now, a lot of what I hear is like, oh my gosh, it's so expensive. You know what? Nowadays. Basically everything is expensive, so I feel I feel that I feel that even here in Cincinnati, Ohio, things are getting pretty expensive. So, um, right on. If you if you're if you're down with a little bit of raw dairy talk, and this conversation has been something that that you found inspiring. At the end of the day, if you want to support this this thing that we got going on here, we're trying to continue putting out content for everybody to better understand how to achieve food freedom and we believe that happens through education and so here we are putting put the time in
0: we woke up at 4 a.m today
1: we, we woke up at 4 a.m today we did
0: to record this podcast
1: um share this podcast with somebody mm-hmm. go on give us a review you can
0: even if you hate it even if you yeah. <laughs> we read the reviews we love man. we
1: love the we love the we, yeah we love that the um they're their views. that they help i mean sharing the podcast helps i mean our spirits we're mm-hmm. not getting paid for this no so when i say it helps that's what i mean
0: <laughs> help support liz and joey's morale thank there you, you very much there you go
1: um comic relief is great too so yeah if you hated it go on there let me know make me like that too
0: yeah it doesn't affect me at all if you <laughs> if you want to
1: hear more from us uh you can find us on instagram Hey, if you need to get some more resources to continue that education, we've got those for you as well. You can hop on to homegrowneducation.org, find those sorts of things. We've got curriculum, we've got we've got what's for dinner, meal plans, recipes, shopping lists. We've got the Real Food Guide to kind of get you in the game. It's almost like a it's almost like a a um, real you know, real food holistic eating real nourishment for dummies. Kind of. The real food guide. But you're not a dummy if you're listening to this. <laughs> but we've got it for you. <laughs> that line of books. Yeah, anyways. Uh, we've got curriculum on there for your kids to kind of get them in the game. It's also kind of gets you in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, teaching is the best way to learn. And so, you know, I feel like I'm learning every single day. I mean, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this two or three times because I feel like you talked about things that I had a hard time articulating. <laughs> so
0: Maybe yeah, because it's four in the morning. I don't know
1: if it's that because I'm pretty used to getting up early. But it, it was, you know, you're talking about all these pathogens and bacterias and lactoses and lactases. And I start to I start to get a little glazed. He gla- so.
0: His eyes glaze over a bit.
1: Yeah. as I mentioned before if you want to find us on social media the best way to do that is to find us on Instagram you can find Elizabeth at homegrown underscore education wherein you'll see more content like this and if you want to see content content that's not necessarily like this if you want to watch me work out, run or shoot my bow or drink coffee you can find me at (laughs) Joey Hazelmeyer (laughs) and ladies and gentlemen until next time, that's a wrap